Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. But Pastor Ron did an incredible job explaining that last week. And and so this week, I I, want to go ahead and continue on with that topic and talk about the presence of God with you here this morning. So encountering the presence of God. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 44. Before we read the, chap- or read the verse there, um, I want to tell you the parable. Explain the parable a little bit to you. There in Matthew chapter 13. So in this parable, we have this man who is working hard for this, for this, other, for this other gentleman. And he's plowing this field. And the man's out working hard plowing the field. It's, it's an abnormally hot day, but it's springtime. There's this open spot in the weather. And so he has only so much time to get this field done for his master. So he, he gets some water in him. He puts some water in his ox. And the ox and the man go to the plow together and begin working and tilling the field. As they're plowing the field, there's dust kicking up everywhere. So much dust you can barely even see, but they just keep on pressing through, keep on plowing through the sweat, through the, through the uh, weariness. They keep on working. All of a sudden, in the middle of plowing, they hit this thing that causes them to come to an abrupt stop, and the oxen stumbles forward, and they come to this, this stop. The man's not sure what, what's caused this to happen, so he, he moves the plow to the side and he begins pushing away dirt with his hands. As he moves and clears some of the dirt, he starts seeing something appear. And it causes his heart to beat a little bit faster and he starts frantically moving the dirt away because he can't help but think, could, could this be what I think it is. And he keeps pushing dirt away and pushing dirt away until finally he realizes it's exactly what he thought he was. And he's looking at this ginormous treasure chest and he opens it up and he begins getting handfuls and handfuls of gold that just run through his fingers. There's gold, there's diamonds, there's rubies, all these expensive pearls lying in this treasure chest. And he immediately starts looking around and to see if anybody else saw him dig up this treasure. And he is satisfied that nobody saw him. So he quickly puts all the jewels, all the diamonds back in the chest. He shuts the door. He moves all the dirt back and he puts a rock on top of it to mark the place. And then he goes on and finishes the day plowing. As he's finishing up plowing, as he's, as he's going through, he can't help but think just continually over this treasure that he's found and his mind can't stray away from it. And he begins developing this plan. He, he's, he's trying to decide, he knows in order to receive the treasure, he's going to have to buy the entire field. But he realizes on my humble income, there's no way in this world that I will, will be able to have enough money to afford to buy this field. So he develops this plan and he eventually, he, he gets off work, he goes home, he pulls out his most valuable things that he owns and he immediately runs to the market and begins selling off his most valuable possessions. 
He gets that money together. He starts to count it. He realizes it's still not enough. So he goes to all of his relatives and he says, hey, I need to borrow some money from you. I promise I'll pay it back. And his relatives reluctantly give him some money, loan him some money. And he pulls that all together and he counts it out. And he realizes, I still don't think I have enough. So he decides he's going to just go for broke. So he goes home. He grabs his livestock and he sells all of his livestock. He grabs uh, his clothes, his entire wardrobe, his wife's wardrobe, which she wasn't real happy about, but he grabs his wife's wardrobe. He grabs his kids' clothes. He sells all of them. He sells all of the furniture. He sells everything. He tries to sell the kids, but his wife drew the line at the kids. (laughs) So he goes on and he just sells the entire house. He makes him and his family completely homeless, but he looks, he counts his cash. He realizes he finally has enough. So he goes to the landowner and he says, he says, master, I would like to buy this land. And the landowner, he hands the landowner the lump of cash and the landowner counts it. And he's just completely overjoyed. And he said, it's a deal. The landowner looks at him and says, you you know, you realize I would have taken significantly less than what you're giving me for this land. But the man looks at him, he says, I gladly pay you what I paid you receive it with joy. And so he pays off the man. He receives the deed to the land. The first thing he does, the first thing he does is he runs to the treasure. He uncovers it, pulls the treasure chest out, pays off all of his debts, builds him and his family a giant house, and then lives off the rest of the income for the rest of his life, just enjoys the treasure for the rest of his life. And, you know, throughout that whole process, his, his wife, his kids, they all thought he went crazy, right? His neighbors, his, uh, his family, his relatives, all of them looked at him and said, that he's gone completely mad. But the joy of the treasure silenced all of their criticisms. None of those criticisms even mattered because the treasure was so valuable to him. In Matthew chapter 13, 44, it says that this is what it's like when you discover the kingdom of God. That this is what it's like when you encounter the presence of the king. And look at it, go ahead and look at it. Let's read it here in verse 44. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. That when you find the presence of God, when you encounter the presence of God, it releases such a joy inside of you that you will alter everything in order to have that treasure. You will rearrange your entire life and build your entire life around the treasure of owning, uh, around the the treasure, the joy of having the treasure of his presence. Amen? Amen? His presence is a treasure that is worth selling everything we have in order to gain the treasure. That's why in this gospel, I gotta take this off, I'm sorry. I'm burning up and I didn't iron this this morning, so please don't judge me. That's why I wore the vest so you want to see how wrinkled it was, but I can't take it anymore. (laughs) But the treasure is worth realigning everything for in order to have the treasure. That's why you see in the Gospels when Peter 
and Andrew encounter Jesus, they drop their nets and follow him. They rearranged their entire life. Their entire livelihood was wrapped up in those nets in that boat, right? They were, that's how they made their living. But they encountered Jesus one time and they dropped everything and they rearranged their entire life around following this man, Jesus. That Andrew and Peter did that, but also James and John dropped their nets and followed Jesus. The disciples, all of them, dropped their nets and followed Jesus. That's why Zacchaeus, when you read about Zacchaeus in the Bible, and Zacchaeus, as you know, was a wee little man, but other than that, he was also a tax collector. And, to, and, and with that collecting taxes, he became a wealthy man. But when he encountered Jesus, he gave away all of his wealth. He distributed all of his wealth. That's why his, this treasure is so valuable that when Mary encountered Jesus, she took her most prized possession. She took her perfume that was worth a year's wage, that was more than likely her inheritance, and she poured it all out on his feet because the treasure of his presence was more valuable than the perfume. That's why you see uh, the woman with the issue of blood break all of the Judeo laws so she could just touch the hem of his garment. That his presence is the treasure hidden in the field. That's why you see pastors who have 15 people in their congregation who have to work two or three other jobs to be able to make a living, but they continue pastoring because they've encountered his presence. And the treasure is worth more than a bigger salary. That's why you see missionaries leave the luxuries of their homes and go live in a hut in the middle of some foreign country because they found a treasure that was worth selling everything for to build their lives around. That's why you see people and missionaries that are in other countries that eventually become martyrs and die for the, for the cross. They die for Jesus. They die for the presence of God. And that's why you saw the 12 disciples get persecuted. That's why you saw some of the disciples actually be martyred because they found something, the pearl of great price the treasure that was worth selling everything for so they could have the treasure. This is how valuable the presence of God is. It's worth rearranging everything in your life and building everything in your life around his presence and encountering the presence of God. Amen? How many of you in this room this morning can say, I've encountered the presence of God. I've encountered Jesus in such a way that I'm willing to arrange, rearrange everything in my life to revolve around that presence. Amen. This is the great treasure. But sadly, sadly, there are people and there are times where even myself, and I could say probably people in this room can say this as well, that we've encountered that treasure. We've unearthed that treasure. But we've We've maybe not done what it takes to buy the field. 
you know, Brendan Manning, he's, he's one of my favorite authors. And he, in his book, Abba's Child, he's talking about this parable. And he tells another parable that kind of goes along with it and brings it more into modern day. And he, he talks about this couple who won $100 million in the lottery. Can you imagine that? $100 million is dropped in your lap. They win $100 million. And for, the, for when they found out the news, they were obviously overjoyed. They were excited. They were just elated with the news that they won this, this money. They gathered together all of their friends. They threw a party for an entire week celebrating the fact that they won this money. And the, the prize money, they had, they had 180 days to collect the money. 180 days to go claim their prize. So at the end of the week, they're talking back and forth to each other. They're like, maybe we should go, maybe we should go claim our prize. And they look up the location that they've got to go to claim the prize. And it's a few hours away. And, you know, they have young kids. They have full-time jobs. They're kind of busy. And so they're like, well, we have 180 days, right? We have plenty of time. Let's, let's, let's uh, take some time and plan out, you know, to, to be able to make this trip. So, so they, after the initial excitement wore out, they, they you know, kind of calmed down a little bit and they thought, you know, we have plenty of time. So they begin living their lives. March hits, March madness hits. They're cheering on Purdue, right? Tonight, 840, they're cheering on Purdue. <laughs> and they're, yeah, there you go, yeah. Oh, I'm sure we've got plenty of those. Who's got a Purdue shirt on today? Yeah, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) So they they get distracted by all the excitement of March Madness. And so they they stop talking about the lottery and start, they start, conversations are are more about March Madness. And and so, but but eventually they realize they're like, oh yeah, we we want all this money. And they get excited again. And and they're like, oh, we, we need to go get that. We need to go get that. But then, you know, life hits again, and they get a little bit busy, and they Purdue won tonight, and so they moved on, and so they're talking about that with all their friends again, and life just gets busy. They get distracted. They talk about the prize money less and less, and eventually the 180 days expires, and they never went and claimed their prize. What would your assessment be of those people? Foolishness, right? I could think of some stronger words, <laughs> but that's a good one for this morning. Foolish. They're foolish. They had this incredible treasure in their grasp. They owned it. It was theirs. And they let it slip through their hands because they got distracted. And we would look at that couple and we would say, they're foolish. But this is exactly what we do sometimes with the presence of God. This is exactly what we do sometimes when we've had this incredible encounter with Jesus. This incredible opportunity to step into his presence. Yet we let distractions get in our way. We let the things of life consume us. And we let, we let the, what should be the most valuable thing in the world to us become secondary behind everything else. And we would look at that couple and say, you're letting this valuable prize slip through your hands, but we do the same thing in our own lives. We have the most valuable thing available to us. You know, the Bible, Pastor Ron shared this last week. You know, in the Old Testament, they were not allowed. There's one priest once a year that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. 
Now that veil has been torn, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we have full access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The most valuable prize, the most valuable treasure we could ever imagine, and we let ourselves get distracted and miss out on the most valuable thing in this, in this universe, the presence of God. You know, the presence, when we encounter the presence of God, let me, let me just read this, this to you here. Sometimes we assume that the encounter with his presence is enough. But being in his presence is an opportunity for transformation, not a guarantee. That when we encounter his presence, it's an opportunity for transformation, not a guarantee that we'll be transformed. Let me prove it to you. I, read, I told you a bunch of people earlier that were in his presence, dropped everything to build their lives around that presence. But there's also people in scripture who have the opposite story. The rich young ruler encountered Jesus and walked away sad because he didn't want to pay the cost. The Pharisees, they encountered Jesus, but they didn't want to lay down the religious systems. This one gets me every time. Judas was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus day in and day out, who witnessed every miracle that Jesus performed who walked with the Son of God for the three years in that he had in ministry on this planet. And even Judas, in the end, betrayed Jesus. So I'll say it again. His presence is not a guarantee for transformation, but it is an opportunity. And how we take up that opportunity is we have to learn what it looks like to buy the field. That the man who plowed, the man who found the treasure could have just as easily covered it up, placed a rock on it, and walked away with an amazing story to tell his friends. But he didn't stop there. He did what it took to rearrange his entire life and build it around that treasure. And we are to do the same thing with the presence of God. When we encounter the presence of God, it is not just so we have a nice story to tell our friends. It is not just so that we have a fond memory of a time we encountered the presence of God. The reason we encounter the presence of God is because it is an opportunity for us to grow deeper and deeper into the revelation of who Jesus is. Every encounter with Jesus is an opportunity to grow deeper in relationship with him. Every encounter with Jesus is an opportunity, but it is just that. It's an opportunity. It is not a guarantee. This is one of my, my good friends, Tom Winden, said this. He said, encounters are invitations, not the end of something, but the beginning of something. Every time we walk into this room here, every time we open our Bibles, every time we bow our heads to pray, every time we, we do what it takes to enter into his presence, it's an opportunity to encounter God. And how we honor God, the presence that we encounter is how we honor with the presence that we encounter is how we will receive it. 
How you honor his presence is how you receive it. Let me say it like this. How much you honor his presence to the degree, there we go. That, I, was, I would find it one of these days. To the degree that we honor that presence is the degree that we will receive from it. So, what, so let's just use Sunday morning as an example. I believe when we come into this room, every Sunday morning we have an opportunity to encounter the presence of God. Every time, whether it's in worship, whether it's in the word, whether it's even in fellowship with one another. You know, that, that community in the Bible is listed among some of the most important things up there with prayer and up there uh, with, with breaking bread together, all of those things. That, 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 that fellowship is important. So whether it's through worship, whether it's through the word, whether it's through fellowship, we always have an opportunity every time we come into this building to encounter the presence of God. But if we don't honor the opportunity properly, we will not receive from that presence. That in order to receive, you have to honor what has been given to you. That's why two people can be sitting in the same service and one walk away with their life changed and talk about how heavy the presence of God was that morning. And the person right next to him walks away with a list of things they found wrong with the service. Because how you honor the presence you are given is how you receive it. So in order to buy the field, we must honor the opportunity. Every time we sit down to open scripture, it's an opportunity to encounter his presence. And as we honor the scripture and honor the word, we get to encounter that presence and get to be changed by that presence. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 3, or verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18, tells us that we were made to go from glory to glory. I don't, I don't think I have it on the overhead. We won't read it, but uh, you can look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it tells us that we are actually built to go from glory to glory. I heard this thought this week in a podcast, and I totally stole it. So, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's so powerful. Not one time ever while reading scripture have I seen where proper stewardship, where, where let me say it this way, I've never read once where uh, it's considered proper stewardship to sustain something. Every time in scripture that you read about stewardship, it's always about increase, never sustaining. Let me, ex let me explain what that means. In the parable, I think it's in Matthew chapter 25, in the, in the parable of the talents, Jesus tells this parable where the master gives three of his servants a lump sum of his money to look after as he goes away on a trip. And the three servants, there's two of them that take that money and they go out and they take chances with it, right? They invest and there's, they see a return on the money that the master gave them. And then there's one servant who takes that coin and what does he do with it? He buries it, right? He hides it in the ground and it says for fear of losing it, losing his master's money, he hides it in the ground. And so the master returns and he meets up with his servants and the two servants that, that went out and invested, he, he praises, right? That I gave you something and you did something with it. You, you increased it. The only one of the three that got in trouble was the one who hid the money in the ground. 
excuse me, he hid the money in the ground for fear of losing it, right? He was, he was afraid of losing it, and so he, he decided that he was going to sustain what was given to him, not cause increase. And he's the one who hid the money in the ground. And he's the one and all of, of all three of them that got in trouble from the master because he chose to, to sustain something that the master wanted him to increase. That you were made to go from glory to glory. And when we encounter the presence of God, it's not just so once again, we can look back and have a fond memory. Not so that we can sustain something. That you are, you, you, our responsibility when we encounter the presence of God is to cause that, that thing to grow on the inside of us. That our responsibility is to cause increase to come to that encounter. To buy the field and cause the increase to come. Amen? You are not made to sustain a good life. We were made to go from glory to glory. Amen? You were made to go from glory to glory. Listen, I don't want to settle with just becoming a Christian and going to heaven. There's so much more. That's not the end all. I want to every day look more and more like Jesus. I want to take that encounter, that initial encounter I had with Jesus when I became a Christian, when I got saved, I want to take that initial encounter and I want to see it not just be sustained, I want to see it grow to a place where every day I look more and more like the character of Jesus. I want to see encounters grow, amen? I, I don't want to settle for just good experiences, I don't want to just settle for good experiences. I want it to change me to the point that it affects every area of my life. I don't want to settle, listen to this church, I don't want to settle for just good church services. I don't want to just sustain, sustain where we're at. I want to go from glory to glory to glory. I want the presence that we encounter in this room to be minimal compared to next Sunday's encounter with him. I want where we were at last year in God, I want it to look like we were children compared to where we are in the coming year. That I don't want to sustain our encounter with God. I want to take that encounter and I want to grow in it to a point where I, we step into another level of glory and then take that level of glory and so step into it where he takes us then to a never, another level of glory and we just keep graduating to deeper and deeper in his presence and we become more and more like Jesus and our encounters with him are greater and greater and greater. Listen, we were not made to sustain. We were made to go from glory to glory to glory. And in order to do that, we have to buy the field. In order to keep growing, we have to step out, take that risk, sell everything we have, and let our lives be built around that treasure. And some of you may be thinking, well, what does that look like? How, how many practical people do we have in the room this morning that are like, Josh, this sounds awesome, but... What? <laughs> you know? And you know, I spent some time thinking about that this week. What is the practicals? And here's what I've realized. I can't give you an A, B, C, D of what it looks like to buy the field. That for every person, it's going to look different. 
that for, for the rich young ruler, it was sell everything, all of your possessions, and come follow me. For Peter, it was drop your nets and come follow me. You know, there's, there's, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to what it looks like. Here's what it boils down to, obedience. Obedience. How do you sell everything? How do you build your life around that treasure? Obedience. You take that encounter. You take that, that time you had in his presence. You go home, you write about it in your journal, you read some more scripture, you pray, and you ask the Lord, God, what are you doing in me? You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about that, the rain and how the encounter is an opportunity for something to be awakened on the inside of you, right? You take that encounter, you go home and you go, God, what are you wakening up on the inside of me? And how do I water it to let my roots grow down deep and let that thing grow inside of me? And then you listen and you obey the words and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You buy the field by obedience, by just doing what he asks you to do. Amen? You do it by, by going to prayer, by daily going to prayer, and just spending time in his presence. You do it by valuing that presence above everything else. And, and listen, I, I sometimes, even as a pastor up here preaching about it, I struggle with that sometimes, right? I get distracted by the day-to-day, and I don't honor the presence like I should. I don't honor the opportunity to go into his presence like I should. But, but that's how we sell the field, that it becomes the most important thing in the world to us, that we rearrange our schedule around his presence. That's how we let the treasure go deep. That's how we let what he plants inside of us to grow. And that's how we water it, is we sell everything. We build our lives around that presence. And it becomes the most valuable thing in the world to us. Amen? Let me ask you something, church. Are you ready to sell everything to buy the field? Are you ready to sell everything to buy the field? His presence is the most important thing on this wor- in this world. Let's sell everything, amen?